Praise God. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 13, and we'll uh, keep on talking about Romans. Uh, I was just telling uh, somebody today that, you know, you can actually take the book of Romans and preach the whole Word of God, the whole Bible. You, you can yes. get to it from Romans. You could spend an entire year, probably an entire decade, preaching the book of Romans, uh, because it'll take you anywhere, take you everywhere. You could take any word, any phrase, any scripture, any truth, and you can go find all the connected dots in the Bible, and so it's a good window into the kingdom of God and the plans of God. So that's why we can take our liberty and spend as much time or as little time as we want to in it. But here we go, Romans chapter 13, because we finished chapter 12 last week. Romans 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, uh, you have plenty of scripture that talks about that within the church, within the church. There's order and there's authority and there's uh, placement uh, from God for everybody. And we should all respect that and honor that. And it's voluntary in the church. Okay, so that's a whole other topic. Right now, it's, it's primarily talking about uh, government authorities from the world, from the kingdom of the world and all the things that we have to uh, live life under. So it says, be subject to the governing authorities. So you can't rebel against all the government, all the laws and all that, no matter where you're at. See, you're all enthused about that. But. <laughs> you will be. You will be. Uh, everybody needs the slack jerked out of them. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And some people think, okay, that means that God has uh, decided who will be in office uh, who will be elected, who will be appointed. He's decided who, not exactly. He doesn't exactly decide. I mean, it doesn't seem like he would choose all the people elected by the people. But he has certainly appointed the office. The seat of that office and the authority of that office, he's appointed those things. And so he does have influence there and we can trust God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And that's why you got to be careful not to be harsh and speak evil against those in authority. Amen. Presidents and governors and mayors and all that kind of thing. you got to be very careful of that. One scripture says that not even the angels bring railing accusation against the devil. They disputed with the devil, and they didn't even rail against him. They didn't even call, you know, curse at him and tell him how, how angry they were. They didn't do that. Uh, they whipped him, but they didn't go through all that. Uh, and it says we're not supposed to revile or, re or rail against authorities. So be careful. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Truth is, we're all supposed to uh, have a certain respect for authority. Isn't that right? And if you don't want to be afraid of them, then just do good all the time. Don't do anything questionable. Just do good. Have a good attitude. Smile all the time. Obey all the time. Don't break any laws. You'll be fine. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. Yeah. Did you know that if you're doing evil, you ought to be afraid of the cops? Yes. 
Listen, it's normal to be afraid of the authorities. That's normal, especially if you're doing evil. I remember, I remember my young years. All of us were afraid to see a police officer. Nobody wanted to see any police officer anywhere because we were afraid that we would get caught for whatever we were doing or thinking. We weren't sure, but that's a natural. Be afraid, especially if you're doing evil. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he's God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's amazing, isn't it? So we're going to go through that today and uh, explain some of this passage and, and corroborate it with another witness from Scripture uh, so that we can understand why these things are so, all right? Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, just to make sure that there's other account because you can't really establish a doctrine without two or three witnesses. You can't say it's for all people of all ages uh, in all places uh, unless there's two or three witnesses, but this doctrine certainly has it. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, th verse 13 says, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king, even if you don't agree with their judgment or their law, just do it for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you, sh you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So if you get, uh, if you get captured in some way for doing good, no problem. No problem. God will back you up. Uh, but that's the will of God. And recognize that those in authority are there to punish evildoers. So there's an aspect of God, of his system, that allows punishment for evildoers. Go back to um, Romans 13. If you do evil, be afraid. Uh, I, you know, my friends and I... Uh, one time in my life, I heard freeze. And guess what I did? And I heard, get on the ground. And I did. And I didn't want to make any sudden move because I understand what that means. And that's just how it's supposed to be. Uh, then, and... Uh, you know, tr truthfully, even if you are doing good, what happens when the lights flash behind you in the car? Your heart skips a beat. Oh my God. Oh, what am I, what am I doing? Is my seatbelt on? Is my, my speed on? Oh, oh. Isn't that right? The natural reaction is, oh, authorities have caught me and I hope nothing's wrong. That's natural. Your sticker, your license plate, your life. All that goes on. It's natural. It's natural, okay? And it's because there's institution in place to protect the innocent, punish the evildoer, keep order, and that's very legitimate. I do recall, so uh, many of my teenage, well, all of my teenage years uh, and then some were spent, you know, making sure that you weren't caught doing whatever. And so the cops were not your friend, Right? But then I remember when I came into the kingdom of God, uh, 
my mid-20s, I rededicated my life, and I got serious with God and became good. My lifestyle became good. And guess what changed? My attitude against police changed. Instantly, they were my friends. And I would be driving down the road, and I would see a police officer. <laughs> and in my neighborhood, uh, you know, I would, this was my neighborhood, my community, and I was serving God in it and part of a church in it and going to the neighborhoods and stuff. And every time I'd see a cop, I felt like I'm on the same team now. I'm helping good. I'm doing good for people. I'm uh, helping the community. I'm saving people. I'm rescuing people. I'm uh, protecting people. I'm doing the same thing they're doing, just a different way. They were my friends. So if your heart's right with God and your attitude's right, then the police officer will be your friend. So if you see a police officer in the parking lot, don't go way off so you don't have to go by them. <laughs> Wave at them. Bless them. Love them. I know you are. But if you ever see any car go way around, they're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You got to, hey, listen, even if other people aren't going to do everything perfectly, you got you to do it perfectly. You got to act like they're going to love you even if they don't love you. You got to act like people are going to do right even if they don't do right. Whether that's where it's in retail or business or whatever, you gotta you gotta trust that people are gonna do right and know that God will back you up if they didn't. <clears throat> All right, let's keep reading here a bit. Therefore, verse five. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath but also for conscience' sake. Keep that in mind. Uh, you must be subject or in submission to the authorities, not only because you're scared they're gonna get you or do something or punish you, or capture you, but also for your own conscience sake. Because if you do wrong, your conscience is also a governor. And if you violate your heart governor, your conscience, then you will find disconnection between you and God. Verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Uh, before we get into the taxes, let me, let me just cover a couple things here. Okay, so when we talk about governments, because we've had questions, you know, should Christians be police officers? Should Christians be in the military? What if you have to kill somebody? Because doesn't God, uh, you know, command that we shouldn't kill? No, no, he doesn't. Okay? The command from the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not murder. I mean, it says kill, but the word means malicious murder, a malicious act, premeditated, something unjust, uh, because all throughout the Old Testament, God said, kill them and kill them and kill them and kill them and kill them for various reasons, having to do with person, I mean, having to do with judgment against unrighteousness. Okay. So you have to keep that in, in check because people that don't know the Bible will say, well, that's murder. You can't, you can't defend yourself and kill somebody or you can't go to war. It's not true. And I've helped, uh, I've had to help some Christians who were in the military or as a police officer uh, reconcile that, hey, they don't want to kill anybody, but they might have to. Is God going to be angry if they have to kill somebody? The answer is absolutely not. Because your position, your role, whether you're hired or whether you're enlisted, uh, you are backed up by this scripture and this principle that God has put this in place to protect the world, protect the innocent, and to punish evil people. So you're justified. You have to go back to the Old Testament and see that God has principles defined concerning killing. 
I mean, he even defines manslaughter versus murder. Murder one, murder two, involuntary manslaughter, all those are terms that actually came from Scripture. Uh, we're not under the, the eye for an eye principle anymore or command anymore, but by principle, we still have the punishment of evildoers, and that's why the justice system today is fine. Every country has their own. Every state has their own, uh, and that's, that's up to them and their voters to decide that. But you do see capital punishment listed out in the Old Testament, and it's got some strict rules for it. Uh, let me just read you this passage from the Old Testament just so you can kind of catch that there is reason and order about it all. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the Old Testament goes so far as to say that if your ox gores a man, then he shall be killed, but the owner will be okay. But if the ox has gored somebody before and not killed, then the owner has to be killed too. So let me just read you this part. Here's the uh, cities of refuge is one of the uh, or ordinances and civil laws for the nation of Israel. But the cities of refuge were kind of interesting. Uh, in Numbers 35, it'll de it'll, uh, you can read it there, Numbers 35. But here's what it says. You shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. Because if you kill somebody, somebody's going to be after you family member, whatever, uh, somebody's going to be after you. There'll be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation to judgment. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand, by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer will be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand, all these you know, instruments that could potentially kill somebody, he'll be put to, he'll be put to death. He's a murderer. Uh, the avenger of blood himself, the avenger, shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. I'm not saying we're supposed to do this today. I'm just showing you that God set this up so that order could be kept in the nation and people in the nation would fear being criminals. You're supposed to fear being a criminal. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. We got similar laws in the U.S. with this. A lot of countries do. And most of it's taken from stipulation like this, partly because it's just logical. Other partly is because God defines some of these things. They make perfect sense. <clears throat> the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death if he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies. That's involuntary. While he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall, shall judge. This is where you get involuntary manslaughter. does have laws against it, but they're not nearly as severe. The congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger. And the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge from where he fled. 
so they can stay alive. So just want you to see, hey, listen, God deals with some of this, and there is capital punishment according to God. That's up to your state, and that's up to you voting if you uh, feel differently. Uh, I remember one time I was uh, uh, on a jury, and you know you have to do the jury selection, and most people think, oh, I don't want to go. How can I get out of this? But I was thinking, this is my first time. I said, I'll, I want to get picked because I think these 12-man juries need somebody that has half a brain, <laughs> possibly the wisdom of God. So I wanted to get picked. So they're going through the selection, and I, and I, I was right on the line where you know I'm going to possibly get chosen, and, and they're doing interviews. And the defense attorney, and it was, a drug, it was a drug case, and the defense attorney was asking questions. You know how they ask the questions and determine you know, the, all, these various things. And he looked at me, he was just kind of going along, and he looked at me and he said, and he pointed right at me, and he said, do you believe that prisons are for punishment or for rehabilitation? And I said, punishment. Just immediately said punishment, which really goes against his case. I don't know why he picked me. But I got to be on the jury, so that was kind of fun. But prisons are for punishment. In, my, in all of my assessment, it's punishment, not rehabilitation. If you get a little rehabilitation, maybe that's, maybe that's fine. That's icing on the cake. But really, that's not why the prison's there. All right. It's mainly to protect the innocent and to punish evildoers. <clears throat> of course, you see other stuff in the Old Testament about, you know, God told them to uh, stone people that were pagans. Uh, anybody that entices you to go worship other gods, you kill him. The person who got invited is supposed to kill him. And then everybody's supposed to get involved and stone him. Of course, all the witches are supposed to get stoned. If a bride wasn't a virgin, she gets stoned. If you find uh, adulterers, they both brought out, you're supposed to stone them both. So you had rules to, to avenge or kill ungodliness to, to keep the nation safe, to keep the nation pure. Uh, that's how God viewed it. So there was killing in the Old Testament. Just keep that in mind. And then, of course, taking the promised land, they had to kill all the pagans. They had to annihilate all the cities, all the men, all the women, all the children, all the animals. Every single living thing was supposed to die in these pagan lands. And they were commanded, don't hook up with them. Don't make covenant. Don't marry anybody because they're going to entice you off to false gods. So God was real strict about keeping holiness and righteousness as his picture in the Old Testament. Now, since we have the gospel, things have changed. Now God's not telling us, go kill all the pagans. So there's no reason to have any holy war. All the holy wars in history were an abomination to God. God has never told Christians to go kill heathen people. Okay? That was strictly under the nation of Israel. All right? However, we still have this institution in society that God has ordained these governments and authorities to protect the innocent and punish evildoers. Not unchristian, not non-Christians, not for religious sake, not because their beliefs are different, but because their actions were uh, harsh towards somebody. So we do, we are allowed to punish people. Sure is quiet in here. <laughs> Christians have wondered, can a Christian own a gun? What if we have to defend ourselves? Stuff like that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. There, there's no reason. I, almost, I wanted to write a book years ago, a little mini book to give to all soldiers that go to war. To number one, help them feel confident that they're, 
doing the will of God. God's ordained this role that you have, so be confident about it. Have grace in it. Uh, don't feel guilty if you have to kill somebody. Because so, if you start feeling guilty for stuff like that, it'll, it'll weaken you in every way. When your conscience is weakened, it just ruins you. So that was one reason. But then also to show them how to trust God for protection and safety and be led by the Spirit and all those little basic things that could really help them. But I'm not a military guy, and I just kind of didn't feel the Lord wanted me to, but it is a thought. It is a thought. Luke chapter 22. Uh, now, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry, and if you recall back in Luke chapter 9, uh, when Jesus appointed the 12, he said, now don't take any money, don't take a second coat, don't take a staff, don't take any food, and I want you to go to the, preach the gospel. I want you to go into all the cities and preach the gospel ahead of me, and heal the sick, and cast out devils, tell them the kingdom of God is here. All right, remember that? So he gave them their commission, and he told them not to take any provision for things. And there's a reason for it. That was their training so that they could learn to trust God. And that's when he said, and when you go into a house, say, peace be to this house if they receive you, and eat whatever they give you. So he's saying God's going to provide you. If you're going to work for him, God's going to take care of you and provide for you. And so that was their training, I believe, because here at the end, once he's about to depart to heaven, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 35, he said to them, when I was with you, excuse me, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it and a knapsack. And who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that, that this which is written, et cetera, et cetera. Notice what he says. Okay, now, now that your training's over, yeah, go ahead and carry your food if you can. Take some extra stuff if you can. It's like, he's not going to send me to, uh, to, an, he's not going to send Pastor Joni to another nation without a suitcase. Make sense? And in this case, he said, go ahead and buy a sword for what? Well, to kill wild animals. I don't know. To protect yourself from criminals. But just know that he allowed Peter to, I mean, he allowed them to buy a sword. And then they said, uh, verse 38, so they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. It's like one gun's not enough. You need more guns. And he said to them, I, I, know, I know some people don't like, don't, don't like guns. I get it. But just understand that weapons are, are okay with the Lord. Now, it may not be okay with you, but it's okay to have some protection for yourself. And he said to them, it's enough. Of course, they, we should take everybody through mental checkpoints. <laughs> Your qualification, in at least 100 questions plus a verbal, I don't know. It would be nice if we had some sort of restraint, but then again, who's going to be in charge of that? Because then the person in charge of deciding who's fit becomes very, very important. Anyway, that's a whole other social issue. But notice, look, here are two swords. He said, it's enough. And then, and then uh, you know, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and, you know, the, the Judas brings all the Pharisees out. And here they're about to, to grab him. And verse... Uh, 49, when those around saw him, what, uh, around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? <laughs> Got my sword. Can we fight these people that are coming after us? 
And uh, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Another gospel said, he said, put your sword up. Um, I'm not here to fight, basically. If my, kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Remember that? So this is not, okay, so the reason that this was wrong for Peter to cut the ear off uh, was because this was religious persecution. And not only that, it was the plan of God for, for the Messiah, but this was religious persecution, which you do not use a gun or a sword for religious persecution. You take it. Okay? God allows us to protect ourselves uh, and, and stay safe and try not to die, but he does not allow us to retaliate for religious persecution. Jesus promised we would have persecution. He said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Then he went on to say, for great is your reward in heaven. So the principle of persecution is that we have to allow it for ourselves when it's religious persecution. All right? Now, that doesn't have anything to do with a criminal who's trying to attack you or rob you or kill you or harm you or hurt you. Uh, when it comes to a criminal, oh, no, pull out the sword. Or you can pull out the name of Jesus. You don't have to have a weapon. You can live with weaponless. Fine, fine, fine. You can do it with the name of Jesus. Uh, but on the other hand, if you also have a weapon and need it, then there's no repercussion for you. You can do it with a good conscience. Like how many of you, how many of you men have planned in your own mind if somebody broke in the house? How many of you, raise your hand if you've planned what you would do. Bunch of heathens. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's the natural thought because, listen, listen. You, you and I owe it to the innocent to protect them. We owe it to the innocent to protect them more than the criminal to keep them alive. You need to learn how to side with righteousness. As much as God would hate death, we do too. And as much as we would mourn over the loss of any soul, more so we defend righteousness and we protect the innocent. And so you have to recognize that a lot of Almost all judgment, not all, but almost all judgment is highly centralized on protecting innocent people, defending innocent people, giving justice to the innocent. And if you don't, then you're at fault. Um, Even our, our, uh, our famous prayer passage for leaders, remember that? That first of all, uh, supplications, prayers, and, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for those who are in authority, for kings, for, for those who are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in Christ Jesus. So when you pray for leaders, you're praying for some people that will uphold laws and protect innocent people, keep the public safe and in order. That's what you're praying for. Of course, some of that could be church stuff, but it seems like it's talking about secular world that we're part of. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, let me go through a few uh, 
points here, how the government's treated, uh, treated differently. Uh, because we're, we're supposed to, as Christians, we're supposed to turn the other cheek, right? We're supposed to uh, not do eye for an eye. We're supposed to love our enemy. So none of this has anything to do with you hating people or hating enemies. Uh, even the attack on, on, on the Twin Towers in, in, in 01, uh, that, was, that was really not persecution. Now, the Muslims said it was, you know, in the name of a religious war, but it wasn't. It was just demonized people harassing others because of the demon of covetousness and economic oppression and all this other garbage had nothing to do with Jesus. Make sense? Uh, so that was not religious. That means we don't turn the other cheek. That means they need to get punished for what they did. And so I'm all for that. I think we all should be all for that to keep the world safe, to keep cities safe, etc., to keep the innocent sake. So number one is the innocence protection. Uh, number two is our attitude about it is never vengeful. And uh, the next one is that it's luter- it would be ludicrous to expect a police officer to patrol and defend and all that without a weapon and without a weapon of equal caliber to the criminal's weapon. It's always amazing. We watch these shows sometimes and you see, you know, guns come out and the police are shooting with these little tiny pea shooters and the criminals got these, you know, bazookas basically and all these machine guns just ripping everything up and the police are bing, bing, bing. It's like, could you please invest in in some equal weaponry? Uh, Next point is that God's given special grace and authority to those in government. The average citizen doesn't have that special grace, so you wouldn't want to get involved in in keeping order uh, unless you were either hired or appointed or uh, in some emergency necessary to defend and help defend. So just notice that you do need the grace of God for for something like that or forced into combat somehow. Um, I think think that Christians should consider being a police officer in the military because God needs people with wisdom in those roles. So don't shy away just because it puts you on the front line, might have to do something like that. Get the grace of God if you're going to do it. Amen? All right, y'all want to go pay some taxes? Let's go pay taxes. Praise the Lord. Everybody's fired up about it. Go ahead. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 6. For because of this, uh, you also pay taxes. What's he saying? He's saying so that you can have these authorities in their place, you pay taxes. Makes sense, right? Because of this, you also pay taxes for there are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Now, how much tax should citizens pay? As little as possible. I guess I won't get into that, but we we believe that government should be as little as possible. So we do need some police. We do need some military. We need some protection, stability. uh, We need a shield to, to ward off all threats. And we need our roads paved. Other than that, we don't need you. Now, there's a few more things, but let's keep it as small as possible. Otherwise, it'll start dominating us. Every country that takes too much in taxes starts to dominate the people. So people should recognize everybody's on their own. I don't need the government to help me, support me, except in a couple areas. Verse 7, render, therefore, 
to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Basically do what's right. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For, lo- for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Some have, take, some have taken this scripture and said, you should never borrow money from anybody. It says don't owe them anything. Uh, I don't really think you could take that doctrine from this. I think it's dangerous to do that. It puts people under a burden that they can't bear. If you need to borrow money, you can borrow money. Just be reasonable and pay it back. It means don't miss a bill. You can have a mortgage. Some people say, oh, no, you need to save up your money to buy a house. Well, that means I'll be 65 years old before I could ever buy a home in cash. So don't do that to people. It seems noble. And some have tried it, and some have done well at not borrowing anything ever, but there's a wise way to borrow money. Um, it's not a sin to borrow money. If you just, you got to be wise, though. You can't be flippant, and you got to be frugal and, and all that. So owe, owe no one anything except to love one another. You don't owe them extra explanation. You don't owe them all the things they might be expecting. You just owe them some real love. What does that mean? That means you got, you got to treat them right, think of them right, be right, do right, do what's right and reasonable, uh, and you don't have to be ordered around by people to fulfill the love command. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is one way to, to take a look at the law. Do we have to keep the law? Well, if you'll just love everybody perfectly, you will have kept the law basically. Now, obviously, has nothing to do with what you eat or what day you worship on or all the other Jewish uh, ceremonial commands. It has to do with all the moral commands. So if you will walk in love with your fellow man always, with everybody, treating them perfectly as Christ would in every situation, you will have fulfilled the law that we're required to fulfill, the moral law. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, not bear false witness, not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you still are, are concerned about the law of Moses, just walk in love. Praise the Lord. Oh, we didn't pay the taxes yet, did we? Uh, I was just going to mention this uh, because the other tax moment with Jesus where the Pharisees and Herodians, I mean, uh, Herodians came and, and tried to trick him saying, you know, you're going to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, let me see one of those coins. And it was a denarius, a little silver coin. And apparently it has a, an inscription of the ruler and it says divine. And so the Jews hated that because it's a false, you know, engraved object. And so they didn't want to pay taxes because of that. Uh, and so it was a trick question. The Herodians were political leaders. They didn't have any care for religion but they teamed up with the Pharisees. They were both against Christ, so they teamed up together to try to trick him. And Jesus used one of his you know, wise you know, thoughts from the Holy Ghost in the moment. So let me see the coin. Whose inscription is it? Caesar. That's Caesar's inscription. He said, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. 
So therefore, he covered both. If you're in society, you have to obey the, the laws of society. So we're, we're basically living in two kingdoms. We operate in the kingdom of God, but we also have to function in the kingdom of the world, which always has a ruler and a leader. And so go ahead and you got to honor them, take care of them, give them what, what's due. Make sense? Just hopefully you get a lot of deductions at tax season. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right, let's, let's turn to James and do some love stuff, and then we'll come right back. James called it something even extra, if you recall. James chapter 2. James 2 verse 8 says, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law... According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Now, notice he calls it the royal law. So the royal law of love is your number one command. Jesus said to love God and love your neighbor are the top two commandments. Everything else hangs on that. So don't bother with the ten, just do the two. Of course, we don't mind the ten, but you can do the two and never have to even know the ten. Because if you really walked in love, you'd never covet if you really walked in love, you'd never bear false witness. You, you wouldn't treat anybody unkindly. You wouldn't do anything wrong. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the, the whole law and stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Stop there. So don't go trying to fulfill all the details. Just honor the, the law of love and you'll be safe because you know you're already guilty so many things. So you got, you got emphasis in your life and it's the love command. Uh, look at, well, this, this whole passage here is talking about partiality. Uh, I'll just read it. Chapter two, verse one. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should... Come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. Say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit in my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Interesting point, isn't it? So you and I in the church have to recognize the world's ways do not enter this building. We don't esteem rich higher than poor, ever. We would never do that. You should never do that. Never try to buddy up with the rich looking people. Never, ever. Sometimes the poor people dress up like rich people. <laughs> regardless, regardless, don't let that thought process remain in you. It's a, it's, a, it's a sinner thought. It's a heathen lifestyle. It's selfish, greedy nature. You're supposed to be born again out of the selfish, greedy nature. So you would never, ever think like that. Uh, all right, go back. Romans 13. Verse 11, and do this, knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So it's time for you to wake up. Go ahead and say it to yourself. Say, wake up. Wake up. Time to wake up. Especially if you're sleeping in church. Wake up. 
I did that one time. My first, my first sermon, I preached to a congregation. And I was letting them have it, man. I was preaching like two hours on healing. I thought you had to teach two hours to get somebody healed. I was teaching like two hours on, man, power of God was there, though. And I got a bunch of people healed, and it was wonderful, and God was glorified. But during the message, <clears throat> there was this, they were packed in this little church. And in the back was a teenager. He was leaning against the wall, and he'd fallen asleep. And I got to a place in Scripture, and I said, the church just needs to wake up. And it, only, only he and I knew that that had happened. Thought I understand how this preaching stuff can work. So it's time to wake up out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It just means to, hey, look, you know what's right and real. Get up. See it. Live it. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and then put on the armor of light. You'll see that the Christian salvation and righteousness uh, is symbolized many times or likened unto uh, putting off old clothes, putting on new clothes, taking a bath, getting clean, uh, putting on the new putting off the old. You'll see that. Cast off work, cast off the, the darkness, put on the light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Notice how you get a lot of instructional commands in salvation. Isn't that right? There's no, there's no way that a Christian can just run off and say nothing matters anymore because we're under grace. Oh, okay, just throw out your New Testament, I suppose. You can have one page that has one word on it, grace. You're going to ignore everything else? No instruction gets to come with grace? Absolutely not. That was a terrible, terrible deception and harmed a lot of people. Under the premise of something very right and real, that you're saved by faith alone and not by your behavior. Very, very accurate, very real, very freeing for people who didn't understand it properly. But then read the next page so that they're instructed properly. So that they can live right. Yeah, you're saved by faith alone. Now live right. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So you got to put off something. you got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll recall a lot of scriptures have to do with this. I'm not going to go through it all. I did a message one time called the Christian's New Clothes. Remember that old fable, the emperor's new clothes? It's a funny picture in church, but uh, basically change your clothes. E even salvation and righteousness are talked about the gown of salvation and the robe of righteousness is something that you willingly, uh, on purpose, put on by faith. And in doing so, the supernatural part takes place and you become a new person. You actually change. You're not faking it. You're not like taking off the clothes at night, putting them back on uh, on the weekend you're actually changed once you put them on. I mean, you do have to some degree keep it on by faith, but at the same time, it changes you when you truly put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not faking religion. You're not faking good behavior. You're not just putting on a smile. Something's changed from within, but it had to do with you by faith putting on the Lord Jesus. Of course, you recall, put on the whole armor of God. And then you can go through all the pieces. So you got to you got to put on those things by knowing of them, 
having revelation of them and keeping them dear to your heart. You don't have to physically get in the mirror and I'm getting ready to go to work. You don't got to do the symbol of it. The symbol is there so that you remember that those things are already yours. Just make sure your life keeps them close to your soul. I know I'm saved with my helmet. I know I'm righteous with my breastplate. I've got my sword of the spirit. I know what to do. Other scripture says you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man. Put off the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. This is when some of the wives are like, I've been trying to put off my old man for... (laughs) Colossians 3 says, put off all these anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. Christians, you got to clean up your mouth. So maybe we should have bar of soap day. Really, if you'll put on the Lord Jesus, you'll, you'll, you'll stop cussing. You'll stop slanging. Then it says, and don't lie one to another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. All right. Romans chapter 14. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, meaning don't quarrel So there's people that are weak in the faith. They're undeveloped. They're not strong. uh, They're feeble. That's another word for the word weak. They're they're feeble. They're weak. They're they're new or they're they're just unlearned. They're unsure. They're flimsy. Let's say, so there's people that are flimsy in the faith. Is that okay to say? We're not putting people down if they're weak in the faith or new to the faith or just don't know. Um, But he's addressing this. Receive them. Receive them. But, But don't argue over petty things that many times the weak will bring to the table. For one believes, and then this context is about what to eat. (laughs) So they had to deal with this in a big way back then because the Jews were familiar with the law of Moses. There was lots of food commands. Uh, So they, it's in scripture. Today we don't have that in a big way, but we are seeing it some because people read the Old Testament, Christian groups farm, trying to, you know, adhere to some of the law of Moses. And then now they're, you know, begin to command uh, to abstain from certain foods or make Christians do certain things with, with food. Uh, and he's saying, so we can still use this for today. But look, notice what it says. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. In 1950, you didn't know what a vegan was. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Let people do what they want. It's fine. The only problem is when they want to push what they're doing on somebody else. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand for God's able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. You understand that? How many of you have your favorite holidays of the year? How many of you, okay, 
If your favorite, donut day is our favorite holy day. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. It happens six times a year. So you got your favorite holidays, right? How many of you have a, your birthday is higher than those holidays? Some of you esteem your birthday higher than every other day of the year. You, you can if you want to. You can if you want to. I kind of like having 365 birthdays. Every day is special. I'm just one of the, I'll just tell you where I'm at. Every day is pretty much the same day. I love every day. It's the same. I don't have any extra stuff on any day except on a day. <laughs> Sundays are beautiful. Fridays are beautiful. Mondays are beautiful. Uh, of course, I get excited about things just like everybody else, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think any day is more special necessarily. I like to treat people excitedly and wonderfully every day of the year. I don't need to wait for your birthday. That's just me. You do what you got to do. Verse 6, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. One thing that you do recognize that, hey, look, for a new Christian who maybe comes to church or becomes your friend and, and they, they look at you funny when you eat bacon, right? Well, we're going to get some instruction here. What are you supposed to do if they think it's a sin? So all of a sudden, we got a little conflict here amongst Christians on a petty thing, a small thing. But hey, wait a second, wait a second. Let's deal with it pro appropriately. Even though we can eat bacon, technically or scripturally, spiritually, new covenant spiritually, we can eat bacon. Jesus changed it, allows us to eat even the unclean stuff from the Old Testament. So there's time to teach somebody that it's okay to eat bacon, catfish. There's a time to teach that, and they'll learn that hopefully later. But in the moment, let's adhere to what the Scripture says here. Because, you know, weak people have a chance to get stronger and, and understand better. So we'll, we'll trust that that happens uh, right, but we do need to be uh, sensitive to people. <clears throat> Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, this doesn't take away the need to instruct people in the ways of God and the instructions of the New Testament and all that. He's just saying, hey, listen, don't be critical or judgmental on a personal level with somebody's lifestyle. I mean, unless it's obviously sinful, you can then help them get the beam out of their eye. I mean, the speck out of their eye. Yeah, the speck out of their eye. <clears throat> After the beam is out of your eye. Okay. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So here we see this term stumbling block. You've heard that before, but stumbling block should be part of your consciousness that you will not 
cause another person to stumble in their walk with God or their quest for God. So therefore, your lifestyle absolutely does matter. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself. You know, what goes in a man doesn't make him unclean. It's what comes out. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So if a person thinks it's a sin to eat a catfish or a shrimp or a pork chop, it's a sin. And you've heard me tell the story. I was with a certain minister and this, this teaching about trying not to eat pork and stuff like that uh, really kind of infiltrated the church in the past 15, 20 years and entered into the pulpit. And even spirit-filled people that knew the Word of God began to preach. Oh, well, yeah, you're a good Christian, but if you'll be a better Christian, if you'll go, you know, adhere to some of these laws that God gave to the Israelites, because if he gave it to them, boy, it's settled. And so even preachers were kind of promoting this stuff. And I was sitting with a a spirit-filled guy having dinner, has a great ministry, still has a great ministry. And we're sitting there, and he says, we were going to order some food at Chili's. And uh, we're looking at the menus, and the waiter comes up, and uh, he's about to order. And he looks at me, and he looks at the waiter, and he goes, I know we're not supposed to eat bacon, but I'll have a bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I thought, my, my thought was, don't. If you think it's a sin, don't. don't. If you think it's wrong, don't, don't do that. Mess your conscience up. Now, I don't know the reason he was saying that. It could have been just for health reasons, but... I know he had talked about this a little bit. So I connected the dots and thought, man, he thinks it's a sin to eat bacon. It's like, don't eat it. Cut the bacon off. But if you, if you cut the bacon off, if you're trying to live, if you're going to eat via Jewish ordinance, you can't have the cheese either. Because the meat and the cheese cannot be touching. There's a command that says you cannot see the, 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 the lamb in the mother's milk. You can't put the meat and the milk together. So no meat and cheese go together. No, no pizza for you. <laughs> cheese, only cheese pizza. Only cheese pizza. So I was going to maybe mention it later. There, there's some carnal religious uh, activity that people get into to try to do something holy or do something good. And uh, it's dangerous to do. Because it'll, it'll replace all the spiritual pursuit that you need in order to have this real relationship with God. So don't start putting all of your weight onto these little things that really mean nothing, especially when they're wrong. Uh, okay, so where are we? 14 verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Wow. That means that if you're with somebody that thinks it's a sin to eat pork or shrimp or any other, don't eat it. So if you're with a brand new person from India who has believed in Jesus Christ and you go to eat dinner, do not order a steak. Isn't it the cow that they... So no, no, no meat for you. Chickens only. Make sense? That's how you think about this. I'm considerate of what they believe. Verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the reality is, it's not what you eat and all these little knick-knack activity that the Jews had to follow. Uh, it's the kingdom of God. So the reality is the kingdom of God is not these little things that fill up church time. I mean, this church, we, we try to leave most of that out. We try to leave most of that out. But you can just imagine all of the things that some denominations do in the name of religion. The rigmarole, the candles, the water, the extra words and extra doctrines that they bring in to make people feel like, okay, this is what we do. Uh, the kingdom of God is the spiritual side, righteousness, peace, and joy. That's reality for us. Your pursuit is those. Eating or not eating doesn't make you holy. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. I know you want to eat it, but don't destroy the work of God just because you're salivating over the steak or whatever the thing might be. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. We probably have to start being careful with all the vegans and vegetarians out there. If we're trying to lead them to Christ. Probably ought to at least consider it, don't you think? Good point. Nobody's very enthused about that one in here. They're like, oh, we really got to do this? Yeah. It's easy when it's like old timey. It's good neither to eat meat, nor drink grape juice, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Now, I know it says wine. Uh, it's good neither to eat meat or drink fermented grapes, however fermented they may be, by which your brother stumbles. So if anybody thinks that it's a sin to take a sip of fermented grape juice or partially fermented grape juice, don't drink it. We have a whole thing on, on why it would be ridiculous for Christians to, to, to continue drinking alcohol. It's like a, it's the, it's the number one badge of the world. You're supposed to abstain from all appearance of evil. There's only one real reason to take sips of fermented anything. And we have the Holy Spirit. So that's a whole other teaching. But notice what it says here. You certainly could never take a sip in front of any other Christian who thought it might be a sin. And you really shouldn't take a sip in front of anybody else that's not saved, just in case they think Christians don't drink. So the stumbling block sin really is, is the thing that just, it almost just obliterates all Christian drinking. Well, I just do it by myself at home. How did you get it into your home? Where did you buy it? Somebody might have seen you. Listen, that's why we instruct, you know, so we, we have all these gospel tracks out here and we're, we try to help people get familiar with, hey, handing tracks out to people and using it to lead people to Christ. It's a valuable tool. And if you're a little scared to do that with people, you can hide it places. 
You can hide it at Walmart. You can stick those tracks in, in all the pant pockets and jacket pockets and purses and something to get when the customer gets home. They're like, what is this in my, in my, my item? And then they can get saved. Well, we also say go to the beer section at the grocery store and just shove them in the beer boxes. But I always, every time I say to do that, I always say, but don't get caught on the beer section by any Christian. <laughs> Work really quickly so no one sees you on the beer aisle. They might stumble. Now, I'm very serious about that. Amen. I'm very serious about it because, you know, hey, I used to be in the world. I know what it's like. I came into Christianity. It's totally different. Totally, totally changed everything. And so people need to recognize there's a difference. Stumbling block sin. You got to care about people. It's not about you. It's not just about you and God. Oh, between me and God is fine. Yeah, but what about other people? Look, this life in Christ was never designed for you. It was never to be an individual relationship with God only. It includes church family. It includes other people. We're connected to a body. It's not just about you. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Got it? Uh, Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just make sure we're right about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 10, 25. Uh, Verse 24, actually. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So whatever you're going to indulge in, it's not about you. Think about other people. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. That's why it's okay if we eat the meat in Mexico off the street. I I like that. We went to the, where did we go? Trinidad? I think we were, no, Belize. We were in Belize and they got street meat everywhere because the rule is you don't want to eat all that, but. Uh, me and Brother Daryl. But this is talking about, uh, well, let's just read. Let's just read. We've got to finish up tonight. Y'all are, y'all are dabbling. All right. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So here's where you get the, some instructions. Like it's, everything's okay. I mean, cook it really well, but it's okay. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. That means you don't sit there and go, what is this? But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. Listen, look what it says. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. You could still eat it. It's not a sin. But for the sake of the one who told you, don't eat it. If they've admitted it's offered to idols, you need to show them, "Uh uh-uh. I ain't playing your game. I have one God. I'm not eating it. 
and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And look what he says, conscience, I say, not your own. It's not because you may feel guilty, but that of the other. For their own conscience, show them and let them see you're not going to play the other God game. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Uh, notice he's, he's classifying three different groups of people. Uh, it doesn't mean that God looks at three different groups of people all the time. Some have tried to teach that. I don't think it's valid. Um, you'll see this throughout scripture that because there were Jews and Gentiles in proximity to one another in the preaching of the gospel, and then you had this new group, the church getting saved and everybody coming in. Uh, he's saying there's three groups of people you need to be careful with. Like today, we don't think this way. We've got, you know, we got Americans and we've got a few others. You go to other countries, the Russians, they're different. And so the way that you approach other cultures is all he's talking about. Note, note the cultures so that you don't offend any group in the proximity. That's basically what he's saying. Each have their own idea of God and sin. So be cognizant of those things. Look at chapter 8 here, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, though, that love, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Skip down to verse, well, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there's no other God but one. Here he's saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, it's not a big deal. We know that there's no such thing. So if you needed a piece of fruit, when you go into the nail salon, you can grab a little piece of fruit. I'm just kidding. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's one Lord, the Father, whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ. So he puts in all of this spiritual context in the middle of why we feel like we feel. It's not just little rules. There's a whole little context here. Verse 8, or, or verse 7, however, there's not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, taking a piece of fruit at the nail salon, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things that are offered to idols? So we can say it this way. If the public out there thought that it was a sin to go into a Chinese restaurant and eat a buffet, we shouldn't go in. The good news for us in America is the public doesn't think that. You follow me? I'm very sincere. I would not go in there if the public thought it was a sin to go past the, the little happy Buddha. I'm conscious of this. This is important to me. So my line is drawn at the fortune cookie. 
I refuse to eat the fortune. I refuse to open the fortune cookie. That's my line. I refuse to play that game. I want your buffet, but I'm not playing your little fortune game. I don't know how many feel that same way. I, I was telling this one time, and my dad, after I didn't know he felt this way, he goes, I do the same thing. I refuse to eat those fortune cookies. Oh, but listen, let me see what's in it. No, you don't want to dabble with your little fortune. It'll stick with you, and it'll mess you up somehow. Same thing with the horoscope. Don't ever read that garbage. Don't ever play the little game on social media. Let me see what my, my year holds for me. Please. Come on, it's time to grow up, time to be sincere with God, time to not dabble with false stuff. It's ridiculous. It'll open the door to the devil. Even if you're strong, it's a weird thing that gets seed planted in you, and you don't need that. All right, go back to Romans 14. Basically, our flesh or our lifestyle does affect people. It does affect people. So you got to put off the old, put on the new, do it different, do it better. Be, be on the safe side. Don't, don't use all your liberty for your flesh. Uh, and you have to realize that by Paul explaining these things, this is like tremendous departure from the law for every Jew. Every Jew learning these, every Jewish Christian, uh, it's a serious departure from the Old Testament. Yeah. Verse 22, Romans 14, 22 uh, do, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For wh- whatever is not from faith is sin. So that you can back it up from the, the end. Whatever you don't do, believing it's right and real and good and fine is a sin. Make sense? So for all of you here, you've heard that it's okay to eat any food. Isn't that true? Shouldn't have any problem with that. Shouldn't feel guilty for eating an animal that had to be killed. Shouldn't have any problem with that. If you do, that's fine. No big deal. Uh, but you also heard tonight that it's not fine to drink fermented grape juice. So now... I would expect that if you ever do think about it, you should think, I'm not so sure if I should. Don't do it. So I just fixed you right there. (laughs) I helped your life. I saved you from catastrophe. And if you're thinking, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. No problem. No problem. Fine. No problem. I'm not your judge. Nobody's looking around. They're like, <clears throat> okay, so just, I want you to see this, the way that God looks at some of these things. And this is how new, there's, a, there's many times a new Christian uh, will start serving God and getting excited. And they, they don't know any lifestyle commands that they haven't read all this. They don't know any of this. Their lifestyle looks pretty much the same for, could be a week, a month, could be a year, could be two, three years, could be a long, long time. They don't know anything that they need to consider changing. They're just happy serving God. Glory to God. Coming to church, loving Jesus. And they, even though technically 
they're doing wrong things because they don't know it's wrong. It's not even a sin because they have no guilt. It's not even a sin. God honors that. I remember my first pastor telling a story. He said when he got saved, uh, he was, you know, delivered and so excited and uh, he was reading his Bible at the coffee table. He had a, a 12 pack of beer. He's chugging beers, reading his Bible, chugging beers, drinking, reading his Bible, all excited about God. And his wife comes into the room and she sees him and she, you know, she was antagonizing him, you know, in a mean way. She said, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't be drinking. And it, and it shocked him. He's like, oh, Christians don't drink. He didn't even know. I say it wasn't even a sin. I say he didn't have any conviction of it. But whatever you can't do in faith is a sin. And so you and I are in charge of this conscience. So only you know what's in there. Paul made these statements. Well, remember when uh, they came to Jesus with the adulterer and they said, you know, she should be stoned, right? And Jesus said, well, he that's without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says something very important. It says, and each one of them being convicted by their own conscience left one by one till none were left. Remember that? So it's your conscience that does the convicting. It does the alert. Uh, Paul said this in Acts 23. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You should be shooting for that. We should be shooting for that. Acts 24, he said, I exercise myself. He exercised, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. These are benchmarks from a, one of our best Christians that we know. That you and I, we need to live up to our conscience as well. Because if you don't, your faith will leak out. If your conscience is strong... Your faith is secure. But if your conscience accuses you of sin, your faith will leak out. You learn it all. It's wonderful. You're trying to trust God. But if your conscience is nagging at you, your faith is going to get weakened. Make sense? All right. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.